0: Good Show. On Sportsnet, I'm not a fan. I'm J.D. Bunkus. One of my favorite Twitter nights of the year, the NHL draft, when everybody freaks out one way or the other about mostly players that you won't see for years, that most people know nothing about, most fans anyways, and... Where people will base hard opinions based off of the lists of one or two people. I've done the same thing. Good news for Leaf fans, you don't have to be a part of it. <laughs> You're not going to be a part of it. You got Nick Felino, you got those three assists, and now there's no draft pick. Kyle Dubas spoke yesterday. I thought it was really interesting. He jumped on Tim and Friends. I'm going to talk about it later. Um, got a whole bunch of... Less than I expected, but that's never the way to describe our next guest. Jeff Merrick, 31 Thoughts, NHL and Sportsnet. What's up, buddy? How are you doing this
1: morning? Hey, bud. How are you?
0: Good morning. Good, man. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Extracting. So
1: it's, it's Christmas morning for prospect geeks yeah. like me. Yes. <laughs> Listen, I, I know it. you are I, actually. I know. You're I, I one. I, I just love it. I've always loved the draft. I think, Honestly, I think this is one of the areas – like I think the NHL does a few things better um than a lot of other sports. Uh I think mm-hmm. the uh the jerseys uh are best in sport and I do think I I, oh, yeah. I just love the way that they do the draft and always have.
0: I'm really curious to see how it looks tonight with the virtual draft and yeah. with these players if it's kind of similar to what we've seen already with these virtual drafts or if they try to add a few new wrinkles because I I got to admit that I was pretty disappointed with everything, the way that it went with the Kraken, and I, I wasn't sure how much of that was that, you know, our guy Frank Saravalli, went basically full Adrian Wojnarowski and was like, I'm going to tell every pick. I'm going to – you want to see how I'm going to birth the Kraken on your very, before your very eyes on Twitter? Maybe it was in part that, but part of it also felt very, like, old NHL just in terms of the way that they covered it, so – uh, I'm hoping for something a little spicier tonight when you get some opportunities to cover things a little differently. So it's been quiet this week, man. And, yeah. okay, Djokovic and everyone and you know their dog being upset at the Carolina Hurricanes for moving that player. I, I can't believe Carolina moved him simply because of that one moment he had in front of those fans where he's sitting there after that performance, and I kind of thought, oh, okay, this – this makes you a yeah mortal in this city, even when it's not you know, your traditional hockey city. But there's a Gostas Bear trade where he gets moved for essentially cap space. Yep. And we're waiting for Jack Eichel. But did you think that we were going to be seeing more at this point? Because there was an expansion draft. There was an NHL draft. This whole thing has been billed as GM week. And so yeah. far, not a lot.
1: Normally, it's at the draft or a couple of days after the draft, where you start to see the the big trades happen. But to this point or to that point, rather, uh, the difference this year is general managers have been talking now. Like whenever you get an event that brings a lot of general managers and forces a lot of general managers to talk, um, you get action. And even more so when they're in the same spot. Now, that's not happening (laughs) right now. But usually around the draft you get a lot of trades because GMs are right there and they're going out to lunch and they're going out to dinner and they bump into each other at the rate and they're just they're just around each other more. So you're gonna get more activity. That's why I think, you know, like I think trade deadline should be held like a draft where there's, you know, one arena and all the GMs and the teams are at a table and you can watch the drama play out on television as GMs walk from table to table to make moves. Um, I think today's gonna be busy. I think today's gonna be busy. I think tomorrow's gonna be busy. I think we might get some closure on Jack Eichel. I may get some closure on Seth Jones. I think some of the other whoppers may end up uh, mm-hmm. may end up going as well. Like let's not forget too. Not that anyone's really sort of under the gun just because they want to go to the cottage, but next season's already around the corner. This isn't a normal off season here. Everybody needs to a take their break. For some people, they just won't at all, but want to get their break in. But two, you know, training camp is not that far away for a lot of these teams. So I think that there's as much as we look at this and say, "Wow, we thought Eichel would be gone by now, and we'd be you know ripping the Buffalo Sabres for not getting enough, or you know praising the Buffalo Sabres for you know robbing the bank and not having to wear a mask." I think we're going to get it today and tomorrow, and and right through this weekend.
0: So I'm okay if there is some stuff. I actually just thought that Seattle would have been a little bit more exciting. And I was having a tough time kind of putting my finger on everything. At first I was saying maybe Ron Francis overvalued cap space because if you didn't make a lot of moves, if you didn't make any moves essentially, well, that tells you that you put too high a value on something and maybe you – left some things off the table. And then based on what we've seen this week, and you know, I had Mike Harrington on from Buffalo yesterday talking about the Jack Eichel market, that with Eichel, the cap stuff, him being 10.5 is as big of a story as his neck, as what's going on with the lack of medical reports. And the fact that there's so few suitors for this guy who yeah. you know was a first overall pick, power play dynamo. Sure, I, it didn't work out in Buffalo, but I think that when Jack Eichel's healthy, we don't really question the talent and the ability in a league that's becoming more and more stars and scrubs. And I, I was talking a little bit about this yesterday with Colby, and he was fired up, and he was super passionate about the way that the salary cap has become the driving conversation in everything we discuss in hockey. And you just said something about having the general managers all sitting down in a room at a trade deadline, and I think that's a like an awesome idea. TV products for the NHL are not terrific, and... This is a way that you could actually make it more engaging and more exciting, and you know, give a little bit of rejuvenation to what is a bit of a stale product at this point, and one where most fans now know the majority of the deals get done early on. But I, I, yes. I wonder if people you're talking to, and guys that are coming on your show, or the conversations you're having after this Seattle thing, where they basically filled out a roster of we want to ensure cap over player, where we're seeing an off season where there's very slow movement we're seeing a lot of franchises that are basically paralyzed by the flat cap, whether or not this is actually going to create any type of momentum for a conversation about tinkering with the way that they do business in the NHL, whether it's a luxury tax, whether it's some form of uh, relief for owners that are willing to pay money, that the status quo and making fans only talk about... Things that general managers should be talking about, and have very less interest in players, and continue to diminish the value of players from a marketing standpoint. If this is actually having any resonance beyond, you know, just people like you and I,
1: you know, the the cynic looks at uh, looks at all that and says, "Well, there already are two systems. There is a hard salary cap for thirty one teams, and then there's a luxury tax system for the Tampa Bay Lightning. (laughs) Yes, or there's a soft cap rather for the uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning." I understand what you're saying, and I think that the NHL should have in place, this is just me personally, uh, something in place where there are essentially traveling all-star teams that pay a luxury tax because I think you need a villain squad, and I think Tampa showed us, and Kucherov specifically, uh, the value of having a villain squad or villain players in the league or measuring stick teams. I think that hockey is one of those sports. I mean, listen, it's always been a sport. You know, pre-salary cap that had measuring stick teams and that's why we had dynasties and that's why we talk about the Habs and the Islanders and the Oilers the way that we do. But I can tell you, there is about zero appetite from the NHL side of things, from the ownership side of things to do anything outside of keeping this hard salary cap system. And I'll give you one moment specifically, one moment specifically that's, that, that, that drilled that home uh, before the bubble, when the NHL and the Players Association had to massage the CBA, let's just say, there was some conversation about once again, and we see this you know, coming out of lockouts, once again, um, allowing teams to have an amnesty buyout. Buyout hockey players that don't count against your cap, essentially resetting your, your, your entire salary structure. And overwhelmingly, almost unanimously, owners said we have no appetite for that. We don't want to do that. Now you look at Minnesota and the situation that they're in, I'm sure Craig Leopold would have loved to have had an amnesty buyout for, for Souter and Parisi and not have years three and four cost them almost $30 million, but there was no appetite from anybody to have any money outside of the system. They want all the money in the system, period. To the point about salary caps right now, I think there's another thing that we need to consider. Normally, the salary cap acts as a magnet. We've seen that coming out of the, uh, the 0405 lockout. Here's your upper limit. That's where teams will gravitate to. Some teams will be uh, cap teams. Some teams will be budget teams. We all understand this. But right now, more so than ever, I think we need to consider what's happening with the other businesses that the owners own. And the environment that they play in. A lot of these industries have been absolutely hammered, and you're going to see that reflected in how much they spend on the hockey team. So, whereas some teams would look at, you know, this like a team like Carolina that you mentioned, like they just have a hard, fast rule. This is the value we put on this player and this coach, and we're not going above it. If you think you can get a better deal, go for it. Um, case in point: Dougie Hamilton. Alex Nadelkovich, who they thought was going to kill them in arbitration. So they're walking away. Thank you very much. I think some teams are going to look at this and say, you know, even though, you know, cap flexibility is something wonderful to have throughout the season and something to have at trade deadline time, the reality is we're going to have some salary cap space here because our owner's getting killed in his other business. And that's just a reality we're probably going to have to live with for a few seasons as we have a flat cap.
0: See, now I want to look into what owners have what. Because I know that, like, the Dallas Stars owner, for example, is wealthy through hotels. And so yep. I could see someone like that having lost. The hospitality industry
1: money. got killed. Anyone involved right. in the hospitality industry got, got decimated. 100%. But
0: one of the biggest things coming out of the pandemic was the rich got richer, the poor got poorer, the divide is greater than it's ever been. And so I I do wonder how many of these owners might be crying poor when a lot of them actually came out of this thing and are like, you know, I'm good with more pandemics. And that to sell to fan bases of flat caps and um, no uh, no budging on things like the salary cap or instituting new rules for the salary cap or not wanting these amnesty things is just like... More, you just want cost certainty, not that it's actually going to break your bank account, more that it's not going to actually influence you in an overall significant way when it comes to like your complete finances, but just that this is a lie that you sell people or that it's an easy excuse to sell people. The way I look at it and the way I'm just bringing it up and even after I did it tomorrow is just simply, it feels like now more than ever is a tipping point. Like if you're not going to do it after a season or at least consider it after a season where Tampa Bay showed you or reminded you anyways of what it means to be a special team in the NHL, what it's like to watch a group where they're top-to-bottom fun, where they've got a third line that doesn't need or in years past wouldn't have been ripped apart, where you wouldn't have had the narrative of all these guys going, this group isn't going to be together because we know that Barkley Goudreau is going to require money. We know that Blake Coleman is going to require a bunch of money. We know that we won't be able to circumvent the cap the same way and that you ended up with a team like Montreal in the finals where you give them a lot of credit, but when it comes to like a roster talent standpoint, is that really the type of team you want in the Stanley Cup Finals? It is from market vantage point, not from talent. And then you go into this offseason where there's an expansion team and you say, this is exciting. We're trying to sell hockey in a new market. And they pass on like a Hall of Fame player in Carey Price who just went to the Stanley Cup Final so that they could take guys that are, again, cost-effective, cost-control, low-risk, And they do that basically throughout all of their picks except for maybe the odd one but not taking on any term, not doing really much. Then you have a superstar in Jack Eichel who becomes available and his market is not robust because of his cap hit and his term. And then the most visible franchise in the entire NHL, the Toronto Maple Leafs, completely paralyzed to make a move during a moment where they have one of their most talented cores ever – Because they're already up against a hard cap and are losing guys that are local products who are, you know, beloved by the fan base. I just, I can't think of one thing that has happened in the last year that would make an NHL fan say, this is good, or I can see this sustaining and being better, or the game being in a good place. Like, to me, the players are more talented than ever. There's a lot to love about hockey, and there always will be the direction of the game, but when it comes to just fan interest and engaging them and trying to put out a good product, like, I just don't think that it's sustainable having fans care this much about the salary cap. Like, I, just, I don't. I don't think people want to watch sports to go through math class and to hate on their own players if they make $600,000 too much.
1: Go back to 2004 and everyone said, yeah, stick it to these players. They're greedy and they make too much money. Oof. Whoops. Right? This is <laughs> yeah, this whoops. is what this is what you got. Everybody that But was, that's what owners did. That's what I'm that, saying. Are they tricking us again was, with the COVID stuff? <laughs> everybody that was NTPA in four oh four oh five and these pampered, spoiled brats, Yes, yeah, stick it to them. It's the it's the logo on the front, not the not the nameplate on the back. Okay, all right, mm-hmm. okay. Well now okay, so a couple of things there. One, um, I had a conversation with someone years ago, and I've always remembered this, and this was someone who was a pretty high-ranking official in the NHL who just put it really bluntly to me um, as we were talking about this, you know, a similar conversation to the one that we're having right now, J.D., Mm -hmm. and he said, one thing you have to always, always remember, always, when it comes to discussing the NHL. He asked me, he said, and I'll ask you the same question, what is Gary Bettman's number one job? Yeah, serve the owners. But what does that mean? It what means specifically that make sure does that, that mean?
0: Well, I wish what it meant was that they were all gatekeepers of the game, and that was a part of being a responsibility of an owner. But that's, we that's know that's that, that that it, is now.
1: It's not the number yeah, one job.
0: No, and that is a um, fairy tale belief. The number one job is ensuring that the value of these franchises continues Bingo. to go up. Yeah.
1: Bingo. Franchise value is the number one job. Mm-hmm. The commissioner of the NHL, which is why they will never—I I, I shouldn't say never—I have a hard time believing they will ever let go of the hard salary cap system because what does more for franchise value than controlling costs artificially? Yeah. Listen, that, I- like you look at you look at how franchise values have skyrocketed okay certainly since the uh, the uh, the salary cap of 405 but even you look at you know when Gary Bettman walked into this job and I know he's a polarizing figure but he walked into an NHL that was a mess financially mm-hmm. it was a mon pa shop back in in 93 we don't get i think a strong enough sense of it in canada but stateside, this thing was really a mess, and how it was run. And Brian Burke always, you know, uses the analogy because he was there with uh, with Gary Bettman in, in '93, and he said, "Look, we need we needed to spend years just shoveling out the barn before we could show the horse." Mm-hmm. And he's right. Like this, this league needed a lot of cleaning up. And you look at how. Again, finances might just be one marker, quality of play, entertainment, all of it is, is another marker. But if you just look at the financial viability of the NHL, since Gary Bettman took over in 1993, the value, the worth, the exposure, all of it, the growth of this game um, is, and I know people can quibble and say, well, it should still be more given what this sport has gone through and you've had to shut it down a couple of times, et cetera, and I get all that. But there's no denying that his number one job here, raise franchise value, has there been anyone in the league that's done anything better? Like, here's your job description. Raise franchise value. Okay, here we are 2021, and Mm -hmm. teams are going for $650 million. Yeah, I just
0: That's don't job care. That's number one. I know, I, like, that. like I know but they I, but do, saying, but it's just it, like it, for me it, and for fans, like you, you, you just, know, you saw what happened in Europe this summer, right? Like I don't follow soccer very closely, but yeah. there was that super when they league peeled thing, off. That they, <laughs> know. right? They tried to peel off and make this super league thing, and I and I looked at that yeah. and I followed the story and I, I like, because my stupid brain looked at it at first and went well, why are people mad? This is just more soccer and these are better teams and these are a good league and, hey, actually, would I wouldn't mind if they just had a, we just had it, North Division. Hey, if they break off, they do their own thing every once in a while, they have their own league, their own cup, whatever. And then you get more into the, you know, and, God, the last thing we need right now is more like nationalism takes, but you do get into the element of the responsibility to history and, to me, that's the part of this a a little bit that is being lost is that, Man, at some point, this is no one beholden to caring about the game and caring about the product and just being completely obsessed with just profit after profit after profit? It's like these guys are making money and that they're going to continue to make money. And I just look at the league and say in this environment of more and more competitive um products when it comes to entertainment dollars and eyeballs and everything that's coming out of this – I just the conversations around hockey to me are so boring compared to the other leagues. And the more that I'm looking at this, it's just like you need stories in sports. Stories in sports go together. It just it is. It is what it is. I just watched Giannis attend to Kumbo win this NBA Finals MVP, and I'm going to be talking about it later in the show with an author of his new biography. And it's like so much of the interesting thing about Giannis is his story and how he got there. And with hockey, it just feels like the overwhelming story constantly is just who makes what and what is their term and I'm just, like, I'm hitting a wall with it. Like, okay, I'm hitting so, a wall okay, with right. not liking so, Alex Kerfoot because he makes 3.5 instead of 2.7. And, like, this is the big discussion of an offseason. Like, I, I just okay, don't think so, it's interesting.
1: I think a lot of people share your frustration. I think a lot of people right now listening to you are bobbleheading saying, I agree with JD 100%. So given the parameters of this conversation about the hard salary cap and what elite level teams can and cannot do with it and what it costs them and how they're frozen, and you can spin around and say, well, manage your assets better. And I get that. I think there needs to be. Except for I think they are for the most part. Listen, I think they are too. So let me me throw an idea out at you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with Ben before. Maybe you have or other people. Um, How do you feel about the idea? Because I've raised it before and it's been scoffed at by people in the NHL. (laughs) How do you feel about the idea of using cap space as a tradable commodity? I.e., we're the Carolina Hurricanes. There's about $5 million of cap space we're not going to use. Should you be able to trade that $5 million of cap space to another team? As someone who runs
0: a fantasy football draft where you can trade – cap dollars or um, auction dollars um, as you're going into your auction draft every year for players during the season. I fully support it. And yeah, I'm sure it's equally as complicated as the two things. No, I love that idea. Why wouldn't you want to have that? Again, anything creative to me is good. They should be sitting... That's what's so frustrating to me, dude, is the scoff that nature of this is that you would bring something like because this to the table and say, hey, is there yeah. anything new we could be doing? Is there any way that we could be causing some form of relief other than having it where like you can kind of buy cap space already by asking a team to eat some salary, but it's not quite the same thing. And it would be very cool at the beginning of the season to say like the Leafs have acquired X amount of cap space, 5 million for, for 10 million. You know, they gave them that ROI on it and you're feeling happy as a fan, and you're feeling better about your ability to win and your investment from your franchise. I just, um, I think ultimately the NBA's model should be the NHL's model. You shouldn't be losing players because you can't go over a salary cap when you can pay into a luxury tax that feeds money back down to the other teams in the league. And that this idea of parity that the league has, like, oof, there's all... You said it. There's there's need for villains. There's need for depth. By the way, there's a new rule on the show with you, um, which is you're you're not allowed to come on if there's only 25 minutes. This this is I can't believe this already went by so fast. You have to go. I I have two rapid fire questions Radio, for you. Sorry, you, take take it. Up yeah, for you have to go. <laughs> two rapid fire questions before you go that are easier yeah, to do. Where do you think is mo- the most fun for Eichel out of the two rumored destinations, New York or Minnesota?
1: Like oh, from new a hockey York.
0: standpoint, obviously market standpoint is clear.
1: New, new york uh, for for Eichel, you wanted to walk into an environment where you can see a path for success. Uh, you can see that with the New York Rangers. The thing about the Minnesota Wild is in years two and more specifically three and four of the suitor buyouts it 's going to be really hard to ice a competitive team when you have fifteen million dollars of dead cap space that 's going to be really tough and listen. NHL is generally always at its healthiest when the Rangers are popping. So for me, yeah, New York. And they will get the most media exposure, too.
0: Number one, if you could just make it happen, free agent fit in Toronto right now, considering that it seems as though Kyle Dubas tipped his hand that they are going to explore free agency before they explore the trade market.
1: Yeah. Well, Dougie Hamilton's the obvious one. I don't know that there's anyone in the NHL that one times a puck better than, than Dougie Hamilton. And again... He is, he's one of those lightning rod eye test versus analytics guys. And God, so much is made about that museum comment as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's so many, like there's, there's a real sort of old school, new school divide in the, in the, in the value of, of Dougie Hamilton. So to me, that would be the, uh, that would be the one that would light the match.
0: Jeff Merrick, again, new rule. Never again. New rule. 25 minutes. Right. That, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cap in terms well, of – there's, a, there's, a, there's a salary floor when it comes to your minutes from now on where it's like it's got to be longer. You, <laughs> there's a new
1: floor. You, you can't complain about only 25 minutes when you want to tackle something like let's do the, redo the finances of the NHL. Well, and that's the thing. That's minutes. what I realized.
0: As soon as we started it, I was like, <laughs> oh, he's going to have more nuanced answers for this. than I thought we're not going to get to the other things. We're not going to get to Hyman's fit in Edmonton, blah, blah, blah. Those <laughs> things on the list didn't get there.
1: To trade a gap space. Yeah. Oh, we Maybe do, tell uh, me what the just, conversation
0: we'll, is in Vancouver today. Like, you know, we we we'll a text say. later they, if they do the same thing.
1: How are they going to survive without coal? And here we go.
0: Yeah. All right. Jeff Merrick, 31 <laughs> Thoughts, NHL and Sports. Set. Thanks for jumping on, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thanks, bud. Anytime. Be well.
0: See you, pal. I'm not going to start hammering this because I believe in it in my bones. I believe in hockey. I love hockey. And it isn't just a Maple Leafs thing, but it absolutely is a Maple Leafs thing. This week, everyone is so mad at Kyle Dubas. I'm frustrated with Kyle Dubas too. I'm going to play some clips from Kyle Dubas's media availabilities and his hit on Tim and Friends yesterday that had me confused, that had me frustrated, that had me interested, whatever. But so much of this, I over the last week... I've pivoted in some ways to just empathizing with the guy. His philosophy is just, I'd like to keep my best players. I'd like to not have to move the guys that we drafted that turned into NHL superstars here that I gave a little bit too much money to maybe because of a hard NHL salary cap. And you know what? I'm willing to gamble more on the idea that I'll get more from Mitch Marner and the extra 2 million dollars I paid him then sprinkling that 2 million dollars down to I don't know David Krejci at 37 years old like I get it and it's just so frustrating to me that there's this like Stockholm syndrome with hockey fans where they keep just yelling at the general managers and yelling at the general managers and yelling at the general manager and it's like you're yelling at the manager in the restaurant Or at the business, right? Like has anybody seen that TikTok of the guy who works at Ikea and they're saying, you've lost my business? He's like, good. You think I own Ikea? That's how I feel about this right now. Everyone's yelling at these general managers. Ron Francis, did he do a good enough job? Me too. And of course we have to evaluate them, right? We can't just spend our whole time talking about the ownership. But this moment in particular, right now in particular, it feels more obvious than it ever has before. Jack Eichel's available. Two teams are in. Because they can't make it work cap-wise? Carey Price was available. A team didn't want him. And it was not because of salary. Again, he was only owed $2 bucks a season. That's so cheap for a goal. That's cheaper than they paid in Dreger. Didn't take him because of salary cap. Toronto Maple Leafs can't move on anything. Completely paralyzed. Having fans at each other's throats day in, day out over the 600 k that they could have saved going from Kerfoot to McCann. Oof. Like, compare that to the stories that we talk about with the other leagues. Yes, do we talk about finances and caps and trades and value? Like, those are parts of being a modern-day sports fan. That It's not for everybody. Some people just want to sit back and watch the game. But if you're listening to this show right now, you probably have at least a passing interest in these topics and you think it's fun to play GM and you think it's fun to discuss contracts and overpays. And I agree, but you can do that without a hard cap. We do that in other leagues. It's just not as obsessive. And so the idea that, oh, well, we had a pandemic, so the owners are just going to keep these caps flat and provide no flexibility because a couple of them... Ended up losing a bit of money. Guess what? I'm sure all those guys are going to be fine. I think you should probably worry about your own finances more than you should worry about the finances of uh, billionaires who can afford hockey teams. And you know what? If it's so bad, NHL owners, if you're just struggling, oh, so much, it's just, it's impossible to get by. You don't know. I had to sell a yacht. Oh. <laughs> We had this beautiful home in Spain. We loved it. Our family used to go back there for a, a couple of weeks every fall, and it was beautiful. Right on the water, you should have seen it. I had to go. Sell your franchise, then. You'll make a ton of money. If it's so labor-intensive, it's so awful to own these teams that you can't even increase the salary cap by a million dollars per team. As of now, when we know fans are coming back to the buildings, as you still made those lucrative television contracts, as these franchises continue to expand. uh, Why are they expanding? Is it because the league is no one's interested in it? Do you normally expand when something isn't gaining value? Huh. Flat cap, though. And everyone buys it. And everyone just sits there and goes, sweet. Get a minimum contract. Oh, the Leafs' whole season, the most visible franchise in hockey, the wealthiest franchise in hockey, is leaning on breakout seasons from Nick Robertson to change the outcomes of their success next year. It's going to lose Zach Hyman because... You can't give somebody $5.5 million to play professional sports at the highest level with an elite skill set. Bonkers. So yeah, I'm bored of this hockey conversation. And so the only one that I want to have or the one that I'd rather have than the 300k difference between guys or what you get and Jason Spezza taking 700k versus Wayne Simmons taking 900k and knowing every single person's salary in the league is, Hey, maybe there should be some animosity towards these owners that have gaslit fans into thinking that players are villains for taking money, that GMs are stupid for giving guys contracts and that they are poor and can't afford to do these things. At some point, people have to care about the state of the game. At some point, people have to care about the entertainment product. And watching 32 teams that are the exact same, with minor differences in luck, is probably going to get a little stale. It's a good show. Sports 105.9, the fan. JD Bunkers. Again, follow me on the socials at JDBunkus both on Twitter and on Instagram. Never on TikTok. Sorry, TikTok. People are hot. Maybe Leafs fans are hot. They flamed out in what I believe is the most disappointing way in franchise history. If you just look at where they were at with this core, where they were at in terms of level of competition to get to a conference final, where they were at in terms of pushing trips into the middle when it came to assets like your first round pick for Nick Felino, and what they had shown throughout the regular season, and of course, losing to the Montreal Canadiens, where It doesn't mean much because they hadn't met in the playoffs for many years. It's not your traditional rivalry, but it will always be a powerful regional rivalry that dates back to when hockey was everything and the only thing in this country. And so to lose to them and to those fans, the two biggest fan bases in Canada, it was an especially tough pill to swallow. So this offseason has naturally caused people to look at this team and ask real questions about the core. Was this finally it? How could you come back with these players when it's yet another disappointment? When it's year five of Kyle Dubas, of we can and we will, and it's zero trips beyond the first round, despite all this talent and despite this year's breaks. All the excitement of the season washed away over the course of a couple of weeks. So people have had time to stew in it. People have had time to sit with it. People had removed themselves from it to a certain degree as they were rooting for the Montreal Canadiens. As they were watching the NBA playoffs, as they were watching a really fun Toronto Blue Jays team that is kind of in the perfect spot when it comes to discussion and attention. But they make a trade acquiring Jared McCann from the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it signifies truly to everyone that the off-season is beginning for Kyle Dubas. That now it's real. That things are going to be happening. And everything stirs up again. The Dubas defenders come out. They say this is why this guy is one of the best in the game. He went out and got an asset that was going to be left unprotected that he could go out and get. On the cheap. Ends up being the pick. And the Maple Leafs are starting to look awfully familiar And now there is yet again a divide of people who I would say the vast majority are upset with the direction because, yeah, who wants to watch the same thing? Who wants to be subjected to the exact same thing versus people who are in the camp of this group just got unlucky and they are doing the prudent thing in not selling stars and not moving off of the core and that there will always be a group of Kyle Dubas defenders that are unlike any group I can ever remember following this city or following teams in this city which are that he is infallible that he does not really make mistakes and the mistakes that he makes are very forgivable and that he's still somehow cleaning up a mess that was left for him despite the Leafs being in the healthiest position from a again star standpoint than they were at any point during the salary cap era but anyways he spoke yesterday everywhere he did the rounds The Kraken draft was done. The NHL draft was was right in front of us. It's going tonight. And he addressed the elephants in the room. And he came out in pretty typical Kyle Dubas fashion, which is – well, let me just run the clip because this is the one that was going around and this is the one that got all the headlines – Because Kyle Dubas not only is in this market, he is good at making headlines, he is good at making statements, he is good at coming up with buzzwords, he is good at delivering messages, if anything at all. That is undeniable. So here is the overall message about the core from the leader of your franchise, the Toronto Maple Leafs.
2: For better uh, uh, or worse, I I believe in this this group, and I believe that, that they are going to get it done, and I believe that they're going to win. And I understand that that comes with certain doubt because of, of the fact that we have not broken through in the playoffs, but um, it's my belief that that they will. I believe in them as players. I believe in them as people. And uh, I know that uh, that decision lies on me and, and uh, what the risk is for me and, and uh, going ahead that way. So I'm comfortable with it. I, I believe that uh, we're going to see the best version of this group uh, next season that we've seen yet. And, um, I'm willing to bet,
0: uh, bet everything on them. So Kyle Dubas knows how to work a microphone, unlike myself, who turns his off and then forgets to turn it on until his technical director says, turn on your microphone. Are you still connected? Kyle Dubas is doubling, tripling, whatevering down on the statements that he made following the season. That this is a core he believes in. This has been his thing all along. It's about the core, the core, the core. From we can and we will to, as CJ put it on Twitter, the last stand, quote unquote. Kyle Dubas putting it all on his shoulders. Kyle Dubas accepting the risks, believing in the people. I just don't know how much to buy of it, if I'm being honest. Do I think Kyle Dubas cares about these players? I do. But we saw this when the Leafs got bounced to the Boston Bruins. And everyone was so upset. Because Mike Babcock would not take responsibility for the things that he did in the series that we did not like. But there was Kyle Dubas who jumped up and said, I'll take the blame. I will take the responsibility I will be the one who stands in front of the, the, the swords without a shield. He's the Jon Snow welcoming on the Bolton army. That was a nerdy reference, but I think all of you got it. I'll be the one who believes in this team. Nobody believes in this team but me. Nobody. Nobody. I, and I just think it's kind of just over-the-top posturing at this point. I get it, but this is part of the thing with Dubas is that it? I worry about the emotional elements of these things at time with the guy that someone who was actually criticized for being overly calculating from an analytic standpoint is now being criticized as somebody who can probably be criticized for being a little too emotionally invested in things. I guarantee, I believe there is an argument to be made that the Leafs running it back and doing this over again is a prudent move or that it's at least the best move. But then he goes on Tim and Friends later that day and I know that I'm playing like the worst kind of detective because most of these things are the exact same but there's a slight difference in this one. So I want to play him on Tim and Friends and discuss why I get frustrated with these kind of Messages that Kyle De Ubis delivers. Roll number two, Lance.
3: When it comes to uh, the group and, and the process that we go through to, to build the team, I think we're we're always looking at ways to um, to adjust, and we'll always look at anything that we feel can make us better and help us to accomplish what we want in the playoffs. And this offseason for us will be no different. If there are moves that that come up that we feel, um, you know, regardless of who it is on our team, um, can make us better, we will do that. The, the the situation with the core is that I I find it hard looking around, uh, to, to find a way in, in, in maneuvering around them, that we could move any of them out and and win a a trade, uh, and and improve our team that way. Mm -hmm. And so I think we, and I think we have the major belief in them as, as people and uh, have major belief in, in them as players.
0: Major belief in them as people. We're going to explore every option except for the real big option that actually has the consequence on the roster because we believe in them as people and we don't think that we can win a trade. That's the whole point of the discussion around the core Toronto Maple Leafs brass. The whole discussion around the core is that you are not going to win the trade. You are not going to end up with a more talented player than Mitch Marner. The conversation is about depth and whether you believe in it or whether you don't. And it seems pretty clear at this, vantage, at this point that you believe s- stars and scrubs. I just don't think that this is a fantasy football league. This is the NHL, and we just saw how valuable depth is. And for this team to say that we believe in this core, we believe in this core, and not include Zach Hyman in that is especially frustrating. To know that Zach Hyman, you're already losing a piece of the core. The team is already being transformed right in front of everyone's eyes. And this is what scares me. There's just so much bluster with this stuff. It's just so over the top at times. I'll take all the risks and I know what that comes in and that's involved. It's like you want people talking about your job being at peril. Maybe he's playing us all. Maybe he's a genius for taking some of the heat off his roster. But the thing is, game one, the heat's back on the roster. The heat's back on the players game, if they get into the playoffs and they don't, people are going to be having conversations about the players all the same. You're back in the same spots. People do also believe in the talent. But ultimately, the main piece of the talent that they believe in is Austin Matthews. And this is about capitalizing on all the years that you possibly can of Austin Matthews. And making sure that in his prime, you have the best opportunities to win. And comparing the other guys in the core to Matthews, is what got you in trouble in the first place with giving that contract to Mitch Marner. There's three more years left before Matthews is an unrestricted free agent. Three. So rolling the dice is fine. Accepting the responsibility is fine. But the responsibility was already on your shoulders. Like, all these things that he's saying were inherent there's nothing revealing about any of this. You are under the gun. You're a general manager who came in with a ton of hype, with a ton of fanfare, and replaced someone who is going to walk into the Hockey Hall of Fame. God, is is Lou already in it? Like, I don't even know, but I would assume that, like, how many ways could you break up Lou Lamorello's career and he gets into the Hockey Hall of Fame? You came in with a ton of promise, you came in with a ton of bluster, and you spoke very confidently And the team has not won a playoff series in five years. I think the Leafs could win a playoff series. I doubt that they can win a Stanley Cup. I don't see a Stanley Cup winner. But again, this is a league that is very, very even. And you just need some breaks to go your way, some health to be in your favor, for a team to get hot, for a goaltender to get hot. It's not outside the realm of possibility. So yes, rolling it back is not an insane strategy. It's not as crazy as people, even myself, make it out to seem. What I do think is a little scary is when you say things like we are going to explore every opportunity, but we don't think that we can win a trade and we believe in these guys as people like you sound like someone who is making this personal. And when you think about the best executives in professional sports, I'm sorry, but it's true. It's usually that they can balance those two things, but also be cold. It's Masayu Jiri saying goodbye to DeMar DeRozan after failures and moving on for Kawhi Leonard and knowing that your entire team loves DeMar in a way that they are going to feel betrayed for months. That your face of the franchise, Kyle Lowry, will not look at you the same way until you hang a banner. And frankly, it is what I like about Lou Lamorello. It is what I admire, is that you can just trust that he's going to do the thing that is best for the franchise, no matter the personal cost. And that's the part where I'm a little suspect right now with Dubis, and that's the part I'm a little suspect with when it comes to this offseason. And, you know, I'll, I'll have some people today that are going to be probably in my mentions and who are going to be pissed off and who are going to have things to say about me misreading Dubas or me making leaps and me doing this and that. All I would say is I don't know why there is such a still large group of people that do not believe that you can at least question Kyle Dubas's philosophy, Kyle Dubis's moves, Kyle Dubas's approach. Because to me, that's what is gone now. Early in your tenure as a general manager, especially as a young general manager, you have to be given the benefit of the doubt. The good has to outweigh the bad but we're again we're, we're heading into year six of this thing and he was an assistant GM and people like to pick and choose the different spots in terms of what was his and what was lose like he's the guy that traded for Hyman okay but that he's basically completely absolved of any other thing that was a negative while he was assistant GM huh like that that's a pretty interesting thing to do all I would say is that the trust is gone that there is not just this trust of everything that you say, everything that you do has to be met with. He's got the right thing going. He's got the right thing in mind, and that brings me to the next thing, and that's Justin Hall and the protection which he also spoke about yesterday.
2: You know, what do we have in Justin, and, and, and what do we have him uh, for in the future? So he signed for two more years. Um, you know, he's taken the last two seasons of the major steps. I understand he's you know he's 29 years old, but Uh, extremely well-conditioned, low mileage uh, overall on him. We know what he's capable of. We know um, who he is as a person. We have a strong belief in him. He signed for two more years. If he's gone from our team, either in expansion or trade, can we replace what he brings at the cap hit? And Mm -hmm. we went through it uh, dozens of different ways and looked at every iteration, knowing what the marketplace was saying about him, knowing what Seattle was likely to do, and then looking at the alternatives, um, you know, you could say, well, you we we do have guys internally, but then you're back to the whole thing that you've chased for years, which is sacrificing your defense depth um, and then trying to supplement it by signing someone that's inferior to him at probably around the same cap hit. And so um, that was the decision that, that we, we made. We just did not think that he was replaceable. And
0: This is the one that's the toughest to criticize Dubasov because – such a large part of that I agree with. And I'm sticking with that. People saw like I, I had a tweet the other day that blew up and people were so upset saying, You said that you liked the idea of protecting Hall. And I went, Yeah, I did. I would rather have Hall than Jared McCann. That's just my opinion. People can disagree. Um I think that's perfectly reasonable. I don't think it's outlandish at all. But two million dollars for a right shot defenseman who does pair well with Muzzin. And when Muzzin is healthy, um, creates this team's arguably best defensive pairing is something that you want to make sure that you keep. I get that logic. That's cool. I'm into that. And for all the people that say, well, Justin Hall, when he doesn't have Muzzin, it's like, yeah, he makes $2 bucks. He's not supposed to be independent of Muzzin. But you know what you have, and you want to make sure that you keep that. My counter is, though, and what I wish we got more information on, is, okay, but how interested was Seattle in Kerfoot? Because there is a strategy in which you could have protected all your players, it protected a bunch of forwards, exposed Alex Kerfoot, and forced Seattle to choose between Kerfoot and Hall when they already had what seems like a pretty serious plan when it came to their blue line. They're apparently going to flip done. Like they already had a lot of players that were on the blue line whereas the center market was really not that deep. And Kyle Dubas 100% knows more than I do on this, like I'm guessing he had a pretty good idea or at least felt that the risk of losing Hall was reasonable enough to do this. But when we step back and we see everything and hindsight is 2020 so it's easier for us to criticize it, but them taking McCann and McCann only being $600,000 difference, them needing centers and looking at their team, their roster, and what they have down the middle, you got to wonder if that was your best shot to move off of Kerfoot and that was your best shot to change some of the depth in a significant way. So I don't mind the logic of protecting Hall – but I also think it's fair to question whether or not he misread who they would be taking. And if part of that, once again, is related to overvaluing what you have in-house. Overvaluing the person. So now that leads us to this, which is, well, the team looks like they're going to be the same. You're buying the core. You don't have a ton of cap space because, again, you're losing a goaltender, but you got to gain a goaltender. And you're losing Zach Hyman, but you got to add to the wings. So what are you going to do this off season? And here was his answer on that. The, the needs of
2: the group are, are fairly obvious. I think to, to me and probably people on the outside, we've got a goaltending situation that, uh, we need to find a, a competent partner for Jack Campbell and let them battle it out. Obviously Jack had a great season. We have a lot of belief in Jack and looking forward to him, which he takes steps next year, but we need to address that. Um, and, um, Obviously, we're going to have some, uh, some opportunity up front, which I think appeals to a lot of the players that are there. If Free the agency uh, doesn't bear fruit on that for us, if we don't think there's value. Then, then we'll look at the trade market uh, heading into the season. So I think you know it's it's easy to look now um, and, and have question marks, and I, I think um, you know come September uh, when camp opens, we'll be at a different uh, we'll be at a different spot, but.
0: See, again, it's like, it's easy to criticize it now. It's like, yes, of course. And you will look different when camp comes. You better because you don't have a full roster. The goaltending thing is obvious. I kind of feel as though it's been lost in the narratives a little bit or in the discussion or the discourse because it is pretty straightforward. It's, hey, the Leafs have a good goaltender. He proved a lot last year. You feel pretty confident in him or more confident in him, certainly than you did at the beginning of the season. Um, You probably have to turn the page on Freddie Anderson because ultimately you do have to have a different look in the room. Freddie's position as a starting goaltender for years that helped carry this team and then asking him to pivot to a 1B in a role that he's not used to and maybe that he's not comfortable with at a reduced salary and at reduced term doesn't feel like a fit. But there are so many options in net right now that you go, huh, well, um, we'll see with a little bit of patience here. I will say no one really mentioned that when Nijelkovic went for a third-round pick, why Toronto wasn't more in the mix on that. If he's as good as people think that he is at that price tag, third-round pick, I don't know. Just seemed like... I know you don't have a lot of draft picks. You don't have things to work with, but... The goaltending thing, there's so much trust that they'll figure it out because of the depth in the market that a guy like that gets moved and people in Toronto don't even really seem to bat an eye. Or at least that was my read on it. The other thing was the most revealing part of his media availability, to me anyways, because the core stuff we already essentially knew. And we can and we will has been Kyle Dubas, and he's basically just spinning we can and we will into different things, right? Different platitudes, different speeches, but it's all we can and we will. Just different words was free agency. Going through free agency, seeing that first, and then exploring trades? Okay? That should be the one, the greatest indicator that they're definitely not going to move a core piece because this is the time to do it. This, is, this was a time where there was supposed to be a flurry of trades. This was a time where you could potentially make something happen. And Merrick said it, that once people are in the room at the draft, or at least at the draft, and there's a little bit more urgency to get things done because you want to acquire a pick or whatever, that you are going to have a little bit more activity force, But waiting to see free agency first indicates that if there is going to be a trade, it's going to be pretty minor. I still continue to wonder what the value is of Kerfoot to them and whether they actually want to move off of that player and have just zero middle class, but we'll see. We'll see what happens tonight, if anything happens tonight. But exploring free agency is a bit curious to me because... Yeah. I don't really see the forward fits. I see depth defenseman fits, which they're going to need and which will be a part of my last clip. And I see goaltending fits, certainly. But the forward fits, like, pull up this year's unrestricted free agent class. And it's why when someone like Mike Futa comes on and says they really need to try and get back Foligno, I go... That makes a lot of sense to me because there's just not a lot out there seemingly with player fit, positional need, money and term could actually fit and benefit this team. There's just not a lot of guys out there. I don't see a lot of names that make a lot of sense or are actually possible. I've seen some others list some names and take a look at uh, a few in free agency that could be of interest to them. But again, I, like, I'm like i having a tough time seeing how the Leafs are A, going to be overly attractive in free agency considering the turmoil of this past offseason and guys looking at that drama and saying, yeah, you know what? I don't really want to be a part of that. Two, um, it's still a more restrictive life here in Ontario than it is in most of North America. And if you're a player, you absolutely would rather have more freedom over... I think, for the most part, the added component of safety here. There's the border, lifestyle, money, fit, pressure. I don't know how appealing it is. So free agency is actually going to be super interesting to see if Toronto can attract people or what the overpay is going to be. Like, can you overpay for somebody who is in the middle tier when you're already a team that's capped out and dealing with big-time cap issues? Like, it... Free agency almost feels like the last place these guys can go, and yet it seems like unless this is a bluff, it's the first place they're going to go and consider. But here's the real truth of the matter, and here's the real scary part of it, which is um, next season, they're going to need the young guys to contribute. And he talked about leaving opportunities for them as well.
2: I think from, from my view of it, you know, in the American League last year uh, with our team, we had two guys that already did challenge and play. And, uh, and Nick Robertson and Joey Anderson, we expect them to continue to take steps in the right direction. Thought Semyon uh he needs to continue to work on his strength, but he had a really, really good season with Torpedo in the KHL coached by David Nemirovsky um, there. And, and they did an excellent job developing him. Then he came over with the Marlies and I thought played really well. We signed Alex Steves as a free agent out of Notre Dame um, He's been making great progress through the summer based on the check-ins that we get from him. On the back end, um, obviously, we're, we're expecting Sandine and Milligrant to continue to push and challenge and take, uh, take steps there. And then uh, subsequent to them, you've got Christian Rubens and, and Matt Hollowell um, that both had good seasons. Rubens went over and played for Latvia at the World Championship at home. And uh, Hollowell uh, spent some time on the taxi squad and traveled with the team last year. Different, you know, almost completely different types of players, but players we expect to continue to challenge move along and then we start to get some of our younger players from the 2018 um, and 19 draft coming into the system as well so um, that's exciting for us that said you know we we, need, we feel that, that um, depth on both forward and D is an area that we also need to address in free agency to give those young players some competition and make sure that if they're not ready that that we've got the requisite depth to uh, to help out there
0: so you're gonna have to sign some depth pieces that's pretty clear and what you do there is probably not going to have an insane amount of impact on this roster. And it already seems as though guys like Bogosian could be moving on who were sneaky important to this team. Sandine and Lilligren are going to get shots, he says. Okay, cool. Those are the upper echelon closest to the roster of defensemen. Um, I don't see Lilligren as a fit with this team right now. I see him more as a 7 defenseman who steps in if there are injuries rather than there is someone who's actually competing for a spot in camp. Having a third pairing of he and Sandine leaves a lot of questions about the penalty kill, rolls late, and adds, I believe, too much of a burden on the top four and also probably is not the best solution moving forward for Sandine's development, having him play with that guy. I don't know a lot about prospects. I'm not a big prospect guy. I don't have time to delve into it. I'm not going to know about... Um, Semyon Der Arguchensev and what he did in the KHL or whether or not he's put on weight or he's gotten stronger or how close he is with that stuff. But the fact that those kind of names were listed there when it comes to the young players is fairly revealing when it comes to young help coming up and supplementing this roster and how much pressure is on Sandin and Robertson for next year. That remains to be one of the templates of salary cap teams. You have to have guys come up on rookie contracts and contribute in meaningful ways. And I believe you've only got one year left when it comes to Sandine in that regard before he has to get paid. Probably not something overly aggressive, but he's going to have to get paid. And now Nick Robertson all of a sudden feels like one of the most important players on your team because he is one of the places that you can have wins above replacement or wins above salary cap average. Again, we're back to talking about these same salary cap things. It just feels like There isn't a lot of depth at the position that you sort of need depth at. And this goes back to the greater issue of the Maple Leafs, is that there isn't depth really anywhere. Actually, sneakily, it's the blue line, the one place that they tried to protect with Justin Hall, you feel pretty good about the depth there, especially if they keep Travis Dermott and he's your seventh defenseman and all of a sudden Lilligren is your eighth and they sign somebody. That's pretty competitive. But organizational depth, they don't have prospect depth, they don't have draft pick depth, and they don't have forward depth. And one of the hallmarks of these guys coming in was they were always going to have layers and layers and layers of depth. There was going to be like a baseball organization in that regard. So it just feels like a lot of pressure all back to the same thing, which is Kyle Dubas and those four guys. And that if you were thinking there was going to be some major relief, you're probably a little bit more suspect of it today than you were earlier in the week. It's just all I'm asking is it's time to raise eyebrows. All I'm asking is that it's time to at least take a look at some of these decisions with a bit more of a critical eye and ask some important questions and stop just blindly believing that bluster is going to be enough to get it done. And that the conversations about this team are, I think, pretty fair at this point. Long as you don't make it personal. Friday hits a little different when you're doing a show on your own. Last night, I was tired. Hit a bit of a wall. Kind of fighting through it. Putting the show together. And I'm waiting to watch Kyle Dubas on Tim and Friends. Because it's one thing to talk to the media over Zoom, it's another thing to talk to, you know, award-winning host of both television and radio. And the show starts and Tim starts talking about how it's the Gretzky episode, it's 99, that he's done 99 solos. And then I message him and he's scrambling to go to his kid's baseball game. And I felt less sorry for myself. <laughs> I felt less tired. I felt embarrassed. Tim McAuliffe, Tim, Tim and Friends, joins me now. How's it going, buddy? Are you okay? Uh, Are you awake? I repaid this respect by asking you to work more.
4: <laughs> I, uh, I understand your pain. Uh, I feel your pain. And tough loss to the kids last night. East York, man. Those kids were hitting the ball really hard. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough one for the Scarborough squad. See, it's like
0: every, everyone's always like, how do you watch all the sports? How do you take in all the sports? And you're like, and then I also add North York. I also have <laughs> to watch every North York game or be apprised of everything
4: that is going on with North York. It's even uh, more. No, not North York, Scarborough. 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 Get, Sorry, get it North right. Yeah, don't put me on that other team. Yeah, uh, nice. I grew up playing for that other team, right. and I, the exodus is real, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I still got friends over there, so I can see that. This is the part of me being a citizen
0: that I just I'll never be able to get. Is uh, you can't fake that part. The, the deep down roots. It doesn't matter how many <laughs> years that I'm going to live here. So yeah. you spoke with Dubis yesterday, and I I played a clip from it earlier in the show when I was discussing Kyle Dubas and what my impressions were of him heading into this off season and the notion of the last stand and him taking things on his shoulders and trying to put himself in front of the train and believing in the core and believing in people and all these other things. And Mm -hmm. to me, it just seems like he's repackaging different messages into something that is pretty much the same, which is we can and we will. And that what we really admired about Dubas when he first took the job or what we were hoping for was this level of, I know this sounds like overly dramatic, but Humanity that wasn't quite there with Lou Lamorello. Like everything about Lou's regime was cold, cold, cold. Like, you know, you don't have facial hair, you don't have long hair, you don't talk to the media, you don't be a person, you don't be your own individual. You just, this is how it goes. It's a regiment. And with Dubas, it's like, I care about the people, I care about this team, I care about who they are as players. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if at this point we're starting to question whether that is working to his detriment.
4: You know, it's funny uh, that you phrase it that way because I, I, the contrast between Lou and Kyle still exists right now. And all you have to do is look at their two programs and look at the things that they're missing on each side. Like, I think if you combine the Islanders and the Leafs, you'd have a great team. And when you separate them, you have massive flaws that almost speak to exactly what you're talking about. Like, the high-end talent in New York isn't there, would the high-end talent flourish and allowed be allowed to be itself under Lou's system? And then on the opposite side of things, you have the Leafs who could use some of that system, could use some of that buy-in, could use some of that camaraderie and team building that you get when no one cares what they look like or what they're wearing. They're just worried about winning hockey games. Um, and I think what you see in the best teams is a combination of the both. And I, I to me, I, I love the dichotomy, but I also understand that you don't win or you rarely, rarely win in the NHL without high end talent. And yeah. for me, what Kyle Dubas here is saying is I believe in high end talent. And what I don't get from leaf fans is like, namely the team that won without high end talent, like You have to go back to lose Devils teams. And even then they had Marty Brodeur, who might have been one of the best goalies on planet Earth ever. Like, it's just, to me, you need high-end talent. And I think Tampa proved that um, and proved it again. And that's the part that I don't understand about the upset Leafs fan saying the definition of insanity is running it back over and over and trying to get the a different result. And to me, what he's saying is I'm not, I'm surrounding the high end talent with different pieces. And that's what we're attempting to do. And I like, I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled by your take on this because I've listened to it a couple of times. And I believe that you're in that group. Like, do you want Riley or Nylander out? Like, no. do you want Marner out? Well,
0: my overall take is that I hate the way that this league is constructed where we have to have conversations like this constantly.
4: Right. Where And that's like, a great take. I love
0: that. You know, yeah. And 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 I do feel as though I'm kind of um becoming a little redundant in this and I talked to Merrick about it earlier today, but just like I I can't believe NHL fans have gotten to this place where they're gaslit into caring so much about salaries and cap space to the point where we've all basically lost the plot that this is the reason that we're doing these things. And it turns your fandom against players. It turns your fandoms against managers. And I equated it to the people who yell at the, guy working at ikea and says you've lost my business and it's like yeah um i don't own ikea um you got to talk to the owners if you really have a problem with this and that's (laughs) the real issue with the nhl right now is you have owners that are completely inflexible and really like at this point i can say it with certainty do not care about the state of the game and do not care about creating the best product possible they care deeply 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 about creating the most profitable franchises possible and having those go up in value. Which, again, is their right. It's their business. But we have lost um, I think a lot of the soul of the game. And the stuff that I saw in Europe this past year where they tried to create the Super League and then there was like this national uprising essentially of, you know, we're trying to reclaim this for ourselves. Yeah. I almost yeah. feel like hockey, for me anyways, is, is kind of getting to that point, but not enough for enough people. But ultimately what I what I want from Dubis is when he was on your show, he mentioned that – he's like, we'll explore everything that will help us get better, but we believe in the core and we don't think that it can help us get better. And that's, again, more my fear is that – you. he said, I have to win the trade or not I have to win the trade. I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, but we don't believe we yeah. can win a trade. And I looked at that and said, I am terrified that you wouldn't be able to take a step backwards to take a step forwards or that you would be willing to lose a trade or that you would lose talent and that you would have to compromise one of your beliefs – to go with a different direction. Like, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs should be this incredible privilege, and it should come with different demands. And if you show up in a playoff series the way that Marner has done and been a complete ghost time and time again, to have had a quote where when he played Columbus saying he didn't have it in the first game, and you're like, huh? Uh, okay. And then to no show in this one from a point standpoint and to not have it at least be a question of do you move off of a player like that? Do you have to analyze him differently than the quote unquote person that you know and separate the facts from the the guy, that's the stuff that I I guess I raise the eyebrow at. Because it's easy to say like you have to value skill, because everyone should. But on those other teams, too, that do win, generally there are guys down the lineup that make big contributions. And I don't see anywhere where the Leafs are going to get better in that regard. And it has now been a couple of times where that flaw has become overly apparent when those stars have gone
4: quiet. I think, okay, there's a lot there, so... yeah.
0: Well, that's yeah. That's this. Sh- that's why you're you good, and that's why I'm me bad. Where it's like ramble
4: mm-hmm. for twenty five. No, <laughs> like, no, 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 like- no. <laughs> I, I, like I don't know where to. Like I. Let me start with Marner. Um, I agree to a certain extent, but I don't know that we're saying the same things about Mark Stone today. Mm-hmm. And this is what worries me: is you you lack patience in your player because, and I'm not saying you and your player, but I'm. Speaking to the fan base, you lose play, you lose uh, focus or you lose um, perspective on your player because you watch your player all the time. And I remember when Mitch Marner blocked a shot against Boston in the postseason and it looked like yeah. the Leafs were going to win in six and everyone was saying, that's the Mitch Marner that is going to take the Leafs to the promised land. And then, you know, you take these seven game sample sizes playing against Philippe Deneau, who... Uh, just shut down like basically every great player in the playoffs and say, this is proof that he can't get it done. And to me, it's just proof that you've had some bad matchups against some pretty good teams and some pretty good shutdown defenders. Now, do I think that they should have beaten the Montreal Canadiens this year? Hell yeah. And do I think that uh, 3-1, you got to close that out? Also, a hell yeah. But I also think that, like, Patience in your talent is usually paid off. And uh, I brought up how Giannis won a title in year eight in a league where nobody has patience and everybody moves on. And now we're going to celebrate Giannis for his patience. And we'll celebrate the Milwaukee Bucks to a certain extent for their patience, though they brought in Drew Holiday this year and made a significant change. Like everyone in Toronto is watching Zach Hyman walk out the door And whether or not you're saying that's the wrong guy walking out the door, there will be a use of that money Mm -hmm. for someone that I believe will fit the mold of the player that you're talking about. Like, I also think that Kyle Dubas has taken this team, and maybe not enough for most people's liking, but I think he's taken this team and he's put in – You know, little pieces of what you... Like the Zach Bogosians of the world, the Wayne Simmons of the world. And what I think he's saying with the Zach Hyman is, whether it's Nick Foligno or not, I'm going to put a tough guy with these guys. I'm going to put a little bit more uh, pushback with these guys, and I'm going to have to pay Zach Hyman money to that guy. Uh And that's where I think the change will come, that you're looking for.
0: I... The way I see it is, I, I there is a scenario where the Leafs can have both, because I, I just think that Austin Matthews and John Tavares and William Nylander, like, or some combination of the three of the four, and what you have in a guy like Morgan Riley, at least for now, should be enough top end talent. Like that's still more top end talent than a lot of teams have, but you right. can also supplement your roster with depth. And so, getting a little too attached to the, keeping the four or keeping the five. That's the part where I go. I don't know if I buy it. I don't know if there isn't a way that you can improve your roster. I don't know if there isn't a way that you can sprinkle, you know, ten and a half million dollars around and all of a sudden actually have a third line or someone that's better to play on your second right. line while also having some talent on your other ones. I like talent, obviously, is important. And I, that's the, again, the part of the philosophy that I absolutely agree with. And, Keeping your talent and running them back and doing those things, like all of it, like, yeah, 100%. I'm totally with you. But, like, every year they're now running out that top-end talent too, right? Like, they're running out of years of it. You're running out of years of Austin Matthews, and it is also so impossible to find that there's an opportunity cost to all of this as well. And so that's the only thing that I kind of feel like is being missed when we say, you know, you have to keep the talent, you have to keep the talent. It's like it's not infinite, like there's only a certain amount of time and maybe you end up a couple of years from now and Austin Matthews actually wants to be re- located in a different area code and that's the stuff that if I'm a Leafs fan concerns me probably more than anything and that's the stuff that I think is so difficult but either way yeah. like the the one good thing um about all of this is that they still are in that position and even if this one year does go haywire and things do go poorly um, you you still hold on to those assets, and and I don't like the idea of you just panic move somebody because you have a disappointment. Like you are right okay. in that is like having at least some level of patience and balancing that with practicality and vision. Like that's what
4: makes great team builders great. Correct, and and having the guts to make the Kawhi Leonard deal despite yeah. the fact that you're. Uh, fan base doesn't understand it to me without a doubt. If you, if I saw Kyle Dubas move Mitch Marner or pick your core player that's making a lot of money and add two pieces at six million dollars or five and a half million dollars that actually fit this squad, I would applaud Kyle Dubas as well. But I just think that we have these perspectives on players based on what they make, and this goes back to your earlier point, and I think it's completely valid where. Players are are not just um, judged on what they do on the ice, but how much of the cap space they eat up. People hated Dion Phaneuf in the city, not because he was a bad defenseman, but because he was a defenseman that made blank. And this is where I think you're right on the NHL being in trouble, where cap space we just saw. And for the average fan listening out there and going like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Like the Seattle Kraken passed on Carey Price for Kale Flurry because yeah. of cap space. Cap space has become more valuable than more than half the players in the league. And it's a flat cap and a hard cap moving out. And that will remain the case for like three years. And I'm with you. That's not good for the league. They've got no. to figure out a way to make... Kyle Dubas signed all these guys thinking the cap would go up. And he just got pooched. And so did the Tampa Bay Lightning. So don't act like it's just Kyle Dubas. Julian Breesbaugh looks like a genius. Steve Eisman looks like a genius. And they have to dismantle the two-time cup winners. But they got those two cups. And, and that's where the NHL finds themselves. And I find that a tad bit ridiculous if you get down to the deep dive here and you peel back the, the onion. I think they've missed the boat here on what it is you're trying to do with a league and the hard cap is just penalizing people.
0: No, the hard cap sucks. And again, it's a league where there's already too much uniformity and too much. Um, yeah, that just it's the same thing. That's what the NHL gets criticized for. And for whatever reason, it's like they're continuing to lean into that as the rest of the world and the rest of the entertainment world is telling us, like, you know, what you want is variety. And the <laughs> NHL like, nope, what we want is all the same thing over and over and over again. And every other consumer is telling you the opposite, and that's why I just don't see that this model anyways of what they have in terms of the salary cap construction is sustainable to a product that will grow despite you know the league being at its healthiest maybe ever when it comes to skill and talent and a lot of different things. Sports fashion. God, I don't use that enough. Thank you, Alex Xero. So I haven't seen the uniforms yet, but I have a logo for sports fashion. The Cleveland Guardians. The Guardians of Cleveland. That's the baseball team now. It's hard to make a new, fresh logo. And listen, Indians had to go. Once Washington went football team, you know that the baseball team was like, we're next. This is done now. They'd already done the pivot to the sea, all that. It's the ugliest logo I think I've ever seen in my life. It looks beyond minor league. Um... And the name Guardians makes me think Galaxy, which makes me think nerd, and I hate it. And that was sports fashion. Now it's time for Jackie Redmond, one of the best in the business, running the draft tonight. She's running the whole show. So if you think the draft sucks, it was Jackie's fault. Uh, she joins me now from NHL Network. What's going on?
5: Well, I, I mean, first of all, <laughs> I'm a little offended that you're referring to Marvel and Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever and calling people nerds. Like, what's your beef?
0: Um, You know what my beef is? Is that all those movies are the exact same. And I preferred when... I like variety. That's all. If I want to go to a movie theater, can I see a different movie? It's either like the most artsy thing that ever existed that someone's like, oh my God, it was so brilliant. Frances McDermott. (laughs) she She takes your breath away. And I'm like, I was bored the whole time. Or it's the exact same Marvel movie and there's no other movie in between. I ask this question to people all the time. What's the comedy movie that's come out in the last 15 years that would hang out or that would be a poster in your dorm room right now?
5: That's a great exactly. question. I don't know if we've had a really good comedy in a long time. But Exactly. But – Marvel movies bring people joy. Just let them have okay, their sure. let them have it's their funny. thing. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. Populist, you're like, of course you're gonna have your
5: <laughs> the Marvel
0: fans. I do yeah, really I, like
5: them though. I watched them all. I watched them all in order um, a few years ago during a hurricane, and it was it was like I have great memories of that.
0: Yeah, because you have no other choice. <laughs> it's like either watch the Marvel movies or watch no movie at all, or not even be in that <laughs> a, like that. I've seen the Marvel movies that's too. A lot of Yes, it's like. I've seen them. I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. I know that one is better than two somehow, even though it's the same movie. I'm just saying it'd be nice to have a little variety. And maybe it would be nice to have a little variety when it comes to this NHL offseason, and we'll get some trades tonight. So um, I was super critical of the Kraken draft, not just because it was all revealed and we knew the picks, although that would have been a huge part of it. And I couldn't really remember how much was being revealed on stage with the Vegas Golden Knights versus this one, but – I thought that the TV product was, like, pretty stale and pretty difficult. And, like, you're someone who is involved in live events, and you are a part of hockey. And I'm just curious, from your standpoint, like, what makes these things so challenging? Whether it's, like, the people we're dealing with. I'm not going to implicate the net, make you just, like, throw your network under the bus. But it's easy for somebody like me to be on the couch and, like, complaining. And I think of that meme where it's, like, her nose is too big. It's, like, that's me with live events. (laughs) But... I do feel as though that was really stale, and I am really curious to see what you guys have in store tonight at the draft.
5: Well, I think, for me personally, the fact that all the picks leaked 10 hours before the broadcast, Mm -hmm. like, hurt it immensely. I I mean, I obviously watched it, but I didn't really, I wasn't nearly as excited to turn it on and see what was going to happen because I wanted something to be excited about. I wanted a surprise. I wanted to not know who Seattle was going to take from certain rosters. Um, You know, I I wanted to see that happen live, and I wish that that could have been the case. Unfortunately, it obviously didn't go that way. I did ask Elliot Friedman, like, was it like this with Vegas? Did all the picks leak? Because I don't remember that. I remember everybody kind of knew Flurry was going, but he said that all the picks leaked before the Vegas expansion draft as well. I don't remember it that way, but apparently it, it happened then too. But to go back to your question, I just think, Live events are hard in general. When you're talking about a draft, you're talking about people that are tuning in to an expansion draft are like the most hardcore hockey fans, I think. So the expectations are really high. And when all the spoilers come out, I think it just takes away some of the excitement, some of the things that there would be to react to. So instead of reacting to those things, people are reacting to and nitpicking the broadcast instead, maybe. Um, For tonight, my role in the broadcast, contrary to your intro for me, I'm not running the show. Um, I will be doing interviews with prospects after they get selected, as well as a few GMs. So I'm going to be in the interview portion of the show. Um, And my biggest challenge, of course, is finding a way to get 18-year-old kids who aren't used to doing interviews to say more than four words. So that's what's ahead for me. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Can't wait to try to, um, you know, get some personality out of these kids.
0: First of all, you're absolutely running the show. Second of all, um, there is nothing (laughs) more crushing than doing your research for an athlete and trying to find something that differentiates you in your interview, something personal, and then trying to sell it to them in the interview as a part of the question and them giving you nothing back. I interviewed Dylan Cousins after he was drafted by the Sabres. He's from Whitehorse. I'm from Whitehorse. I'm like, you're on a show with a guy you from Whitehorse in Toronto. And he was like, Okay. <laughs> he could not have cared less. <laughs> I was shattered. I was absolutely yeah. shattered. This happens with hockey all the time, though. Where it's worse with hockey players, I find. It's weird because usually later in their careers off mic, they have more personality than everybody else. But during their careers, at the very beginning especially, so afraid to say anything at all. It's like, I heard this is your favorite TV show. And they're like, we'll not confirm or deny. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. Or
5: they'll just
0: say, Yeah. Yeah. Like- yeah, that's a good answer. Who's your
5: favorite yeah. character? Why do you like it so much? Um, you know, I do feel for a lot of them because, you know, guys that aren't, you know, projected to go first overall or aren't in that mix who, who haven't, you know, been maybe PR trained or used to getting all the attention, it's hard for them. They're still 18. I try to put myself sometimes in their shoes, how young they are, and to see, to be put on this national stage five seconds after your childhood dream comes true you're probably still blacked out and someone's mm-hmm. asking you you know how you feel although i'm going to try to avoid that question tonight yeah.
0: how do you feel good all right back to you uh, jackie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. back to yeah, you
5: find a way around that question
0: yeah I, I you know what now that's going to be a drinking game though tonight for everybody that listens to good show is if Jackie asks how do you feel then that's a drink like you got a drink on how does yeah, it feel it for her. Jackie when she's getting Listen, it done. That's so fair. yeah that is um that's fair and that's fun and that adds intrigue to this thing so before <laughs> yeah. you go I didn't keep I didn't get in long enough time here with you today so we're gonna have to do this again soon and go a little bit deeper into this but. The sentiment around the Leafs is everything's staying the same, and it's been the main theme of the show today. Is trying to come to grips with that reality of we can and we will getting branded into new phase, which is this is the last stand of we can and we will. Um, how are you feeling about it? How's your dad feeling about it?
5: You know what? I actually haven't talked to my old man, Stevo, um, in the last two days. I want to say, um, except I definitely His haven't talked. Has to him. really changed. Well, I just, you know, my dad is rose-colored glasses. Like he, he has the highest hopes for at least every year. So he's not someone I would recommend like you ever having as a guest on the show unless it's as a joke. <laughs> He's never going to be critical of them for the most part, unless it's during the actual game. Once the game's over, he loves them. They'll be fine. They're going to win the cup. Like he is, he is that fan. Um, He loves them. So he probably just believes in them. Loves everything. It's sad Hyman's going to go, but good for Dubis. I hope he's right. Like that's my dad. Uh, For me, I don't know. I'm curious to see how it plays out. I mean, I thought, it was interesting Kyle Dubas's comments that you know he's standing by them and and that's the risk that's the decision that he's making and and I think that it's going to determine a lot for not just obviously the roster and the Toronto Maple Leafs after next year but for Kyle Dubas himself because he is the one that ultimately gets to decide if they are going to trust the process and stay with this core group and everything's going to stay the same. And and we believe in this group and that they can get out of the first round. If it doesn't happen, then obviously everyone's going to be looking at Kyle Dubas. So I don't his plans are around that core group and his options are limited because of the situation he created with the cap. So I don't feel as confident in the Leafs as Kyle Dubas does next year, because I think next year is going to be harder than last year. So we'll see but my my uh my faith in the Leafs is is not high is that bad i don't want to be a no, downer on your show today no
0: you're not a downer you're being realistic and i think that this I is just think, like, frustrating
5: i know i think you're a zach hyman guy most people are uh that watch this team and it, it sucks that he's not going to be with the toronto maple Leafs. and we would say well they'll find another zach hyman it's like no, it's not easy to find Zach Hyman. It's not easy to find Yanni Gourds and Barclay Goodrow's. Like, that, th- those guys are diamonds in the rough. Like, look how long it took Tampa to get that line together with those three guys. And they didn't know it was going to work. They took a shot on a couple of players, and a couple of them weren't even drafted, and we're like, hopefully this works, and it did work out in the end, but it took them forever to be able to figure out what that roster needed to be able to succeed despite having Hedman, Samkos, Kucherov, uh, Point, and all these guys for so long. So I, it's just not easy to find those types of players, and I have a really hard time figuring out how Kyle Dubis, in his current situation, is going to fill out this lineup outside of those core players. Yeah. And that's not Inactivity. even talking about them struggling to produce in the postseason
0: exactly i think that's perfectly said jackie so. ran out of time but uh we're gonna do this again real soon because this wasn't enough meat on the bone so uh somehow <laughs> i ended up being too late to a break even though i'm by myself i'll talk to you soon good luck tonight
5: oh uh, yeah like you've ever had trouble talking <laughs> feeling yeah, bad <laughs> have right. a good one jackie guys enjoy
0: the draft tonight you. see ya, nhl network and yes hosting the draft tonight i'll see you next week with a familiar friends to start the show, subscribe to the podcast. JD Bunkus, sports, another fan catch you next week.